Barber. I'm Dave. Glad to have all of you here with us tonight as we remember his great suffering on this Good Friday service. Real practical thing to start off with. Can I ask everyone to take at least seven steps forward? We've got people in the back that cannot enter the sanctuary. Thank you for that. This is a different service tonight. I hope that you can make a conscious decision, and certainly the video in that first song served us well to switch our mindset from driving in traffic, Monday through Friday, end of a hectic work week, whatever else might have been going on. And we enter this place tonight again to remember his suffering. And it's just a practical step of application. This is why we're standing tonight. He experienced hours upon hours upon hours upon hours on that fateful Friday to suffer on our behalf. And so our effort at standing for 60 minutes is just an expression of identifying with his suffering. That said, there are some chairs around the perimeter and make your way over there if you need to sit down or if you need to sit on the floor. That's excellent and awesome and certainly uh, up to you as well. Several times during the service, we will have opportunities to respond, listen for Pastor Jake as he gives us those steps of application because tonight, again, is built for response. Let's continue as we mark this Good Friday. Good Friday. It is a day in which God died. That is Good Friday. We don't gather to celebrate or to marvel at an empty tomb. We gather to reflect and to remember a blood-stained cross. And that is a cross where the one who created trees hung on one. The one who was a carpenter now has nails in his hand instead of a hammer. Tonight is a reminder that Easter Sunday, in order for Easter Sunday to come, there must be a Good Friday. And so in order for there to be a resurrection, there has to be death. There has to be death. And so tonight we're going to take some time and we're going to remember. We're going to remember the cross. We're going to remember the journey that Christ took. And we're going to remember the pain. The pain. The redeeming pain. We have been talking about this for a while the redeeming pain. Our pain is redeemed by Christ. And we're going to talk about that tonight. What he endured for us on our behalf. And that all starts with a meal. It starts with a meal, the Last Supper. So Jesus is upstairs. He's with his disciples, his brothers, his friends, his followers. And what he does is he breaks some bread And then he pours some wine into a cup and they pass these things around and unspeknown to those disciples, what they were witnessing at that point in time, think about this, was the most powerful visual illustration of Jesus's entire ministry. Because what he was doing is he was giving them a foreshadow for what was to come in the next 20 hours. In the next 20 hours, the bread that he took and that was torn to pieces represented his body. 
And his body would soon be broken, and his skin would be split, and out of that would come blood, and that's where he poured the wine. And the wine flowed that night, and the wine represents the blood that would soon flow from him. And so what did Jesus say when he did this? He said this. He said, I give you this. What did he give? Himself. He said, I give this to you. I give you my body, and I give you my blood. There's this crazy verse in the Gospel of John. And uh, when Jesus read this verse, many of the disciples, many of his followers went away from him. Here's what he said. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, which is him, and drink his blood, Jesus' blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. And so a lot of the followers walked away at that point. They didn't quite understand what Jesus was saying. But what he was saying is he was saying, my body, this blood, it is for you. And as Christians, we talk about Jesus' blood a lot, you know? Talk about his blood. We sing about his blood. That verse talks about it. We have rituals based on his blood. And when you think about that, it's kind of weird, right? It's a little disturbing. In fact, it's probably perhaps a little bit barbaric if you really think about it. And yet, we cannot fully appreciate Christ's redeeming pain unless we consider his blood because we desperately, desperately, desperately need it. It is not only central to Good Friday, it is central to our faith. I will be honest with you. I have never donated blood, personally. There's a good reason for that. I am deathly afraid of needles. I hate needles. I really do. I mean, uh, I would rather get punched in the face, maybe even shot with a gun, than to be stabbed with a needle. Uh, to, I'm not making this up. When I was a kid, when I would get my teeth worked on because I had cavities and they would drill, um, I would not let them put the needle into my mouth. I would have them drill on my cavities without Novocaine because I hate needles. Now you see why I've never donated blood. All right? Because I, I just could not deal with that. I have a fear of needles, but the reason people donate blood, nice, brave people besides myself, the reason they donate blood is to help. It is to help. And everyone has a blood type, right? Everyone has a blood type. Believe it or not, we tried to research. My wife's right there. We tried to research what my blood type is. And because we, I've never donated blood, uh, they did not know what my blood type was. I'm not even sure I have blood. All right. <laughs> But I did find out what my wife's blood type was. My wife's blood type, and I'm not making this up, this is what it is, it's A positive. She is an A plus, people, so right there. That is my wife's blood type, amazing. And in order for us to get help, we need to find a match, correct? If we're sick, if we get infected, if, um, if we don't have blood, the blood that we need, we will die. And that is real in a very spiritual sense as well. All of us have an infection inside of us, in our blood, in our heart, in our lives. That infection is called sin. It's in every single one of us. And unless there is a willing donor who has the right blood type to take care of that, who has no imperfections, no infections in his blood, we are left to death, hopeless death for all of eternity. And friends, that is why Good Friday is Good Friday is because 2,000 years ago, a donor stepped forward. There was a donor who stepped forward and he had the right blood type for all of us, the blood type to save us, 
to salvage our blood, to save us, to bring us life. You want to know what Jesus's blood type is? It's forgiveness. That is Jesus's blood type. Now, unfortunately, he didn't get to go into a hospital and recline in a chair and get a quick poke and a little squishy ball, a stress ball to squeeze when he goes. And No, his donation was on the greatest instrument of torture that there is on this planet. It was on a cross. Very, very painful. It is designed to suffocate through exhaustion. And so think about this. Jesus is with his bros, with his buddies. He's sitting down and he breaks the bread and he passes the wine. And what does he say? He says, do this in remembrance of me. And what he was saying there was he was saying this. He's saying, don't forget. He's saying, don't forget what I'm about to do. What I'm about to go through, do not forget it. I want you to remember it. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond in here. And there's a lot of people in here. We did not expect that. We did not also expect that it would be this hot, holy cow. There's, a, there's a, another level of suffering that has just entered into the room. It is hot and your legs are going to get tired, but I really want you to do this. I want you to respond. As a church, I am really okay that we start bumping into each other, okay? And so that is fine. Don't keep your space, man. Don't hug the person in front of you, all right? Unless they have permission from them or you're married to them. Um, But here's the thing. We have stations, one here, one there, one over there. And we're going to be going to those stations throughout this service. And what I would love you to do, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to remember. We're going to take part in communion. And so please, if you believe in Jesus, he asked us to remember. If you consider yourself a follower of him, this is our time to partake in his body, which is the bread. And remember his blood, which is the right blood type for us. It is forgiveness. And so let's remember him now as we partake in communion. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you keep watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, betrayer is here.
so from the upper room where they had their supper, the last meal Jesus would have before his crucifixion, he and the disciples headed to an olive grove, a little garden called Gethsemane. And that word literally and ironically means oil press. It means oil press. And this is the place where it starts. This is where the pain begins. The redeeming pain that Jesus experienced didn't just happen on a cross. It begins here as he's surrendering to the, to the Father and he's face, face on the ground in prayer. Because see, the technical crucifixion is not going to happen for a few hours. But on a heart level, on an emotional level, Jesus is suffering in the garden. The Gospel of Luke says that he actually was suffering so much that he began to sweat drops of blood. Now this is an absolute medical rarity, and I have been stressed in my life. And I've thought I've been really stressed, but I've never been that stressed. So what was Jesus struggling about? What was the pain he was enduring? So here's the thing. When we come to Good Friday, oftentimes what we will end up doing is we will end up focusing on the cross, right? The nails, the thorns, the whips, all of that, the pain he endured. But I would venture to say that probably more than that, more than that type of suffering of the physical sense, there was a larger suffering on an emotional sense. Because think about this. Judas just left them. He's literally in route at this moment, coming back to betray Jesus, one of his friends. And then the next thing that's going to happen is he's, he's got these disciples. Three times he goes to them. He's saying, wake up. I need you to be with me. And they fall back asleep. Three times they couldn't stay awake. And then pretty soon his best friend, Peter, he knows the future. He knows that Peter's going to betray him. Jesus is lonely. Think about that. Jesus is lonely. And it gets worse because when he's on the cross, what does he say? He prays, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't know, theologically speaking, if the Father was technically absent that moment, but I do know this, is I know that Jesus felt alone in that moment when he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And so it's not just physical pain, it's emotional pain. And so what does Jesus do? Here's what he does. Matthew said this, and he was there, he was sleeping, but he was there. And he said this, he, being Jesus, fell on his face, prostrate to the ground, and prayed three times, my father. Now, I love that right there. Look how personal that is. My father. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And so what was the cup? It was not a physical cup. The cup was the suffering that he was enduring in that moment and the suffering that was about ready to come. Jesus knew the hurt that was before him. And so check this out. That makes these words all the more powerful. Jesus says, yet not my will, but as you will. That is so powerful. Jesus is willing in the face of pain to be broken for our benefit. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about pain and we asked ourselves if we would be willing to say the question, literally to answer it for ourselves, would we be willing to be broken to whatever, whatever extent God wants? Would we be willing to, broken, to be broken for him to show? And Jesus right here says, I'm willing to be broken for their benefit and I'm willing to shine for you. And what we did last time, and it was two weeks ago, is we grabbed these glow sticks. 
A glow stick literally needs to be broken to shine. And Jesus was willing to be broken to shine. And there was a handful of you that had the courage that were at that place in your life where you would go up and you would grab a glow stick from this thing and you broke it symbolically saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. But I'll be honest with you. There was not as many people who did that that I thought would actually do that. I literally was like, oh my goodness, why aren't people responding? Did I say something wrong? I love that you took it seriously, but I would actually like to seriously encourage you to get to that place in your life where you are willing to say whatever the pain, whatever it is, one of the most powerful prayers you can pray is not my will, but your will be done. And so if you crack that thing two weeks ago, you don't need to do it again. You're fine. Good job. But if you didn't, okay, if you did not, and you were not, you were more, you were more afraid of disturbing the person in front of you in that in the chair to get out, then you were about making this symbolic gesture. This is now your moment. Maybe you weren't here. But if you really can say, God, not my will, but your will be done, then come up here, crack this. We've got some there, some there, some here. I hope, I pray that this church would say that in unison. Not my will, not the my will of this church, but your will be done. And so we're going to continue to worship. We're going to continue to respond. And if you want to do that today, do it. Be broken to shine. Let's continue to worship him. But they all cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Eventually, On Good Friday, Jesus was standing before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And the crowd, as Allison was saying, wanted two things. They wanted Barabbas. They wanted this criminal. And crazy enough, the next thing that they wanted is they wanted Jesus crucified. When literally the week earlier, they were saying, Lord, 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 he has arrived. Pilate surrendered to his will, his will. And so on Friday, Good Friday, from early morning until 3 p.m., Jesus took beatings. He relentlessly was mocked, and he took and went through utter humiliation that actually became dehumanization. People treated him, Jesus, the definition of love and kindness like the scum of the earth. They spit on his face, they pulled out his beard, and they took thorns, and they made a crown, and they stuck it on his literal royal head. 
They threw a cross on his back that probably weighed around 300 pounds. And then they whipped him like a mule to walk it up the hill, carrying a log up a hill. And when he got there, they drove stakes through his hands, through his feet, and then they raised him up on that cross for all to watch as he labored for every single breath. And there he hung alone, marred, and completely unrecognizable. And here's the most astonishing part. It's that what I just described was literally the answer to Jesus's prayer that he prayed earlier that night. God, let your will be done. And God's will was done. So what was the will of God? It was a cross. Do you want to hear the second most shocking verse in the Bible? This is the second most shocking verse in the Bible. In all of scripture, Isaiah 53.10 says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord, so the Father, to crush him. Who? To crush Jesus. I can't comprehend that. For a good dad, a good father, to allow his good and holy and perfect son to be murdered, to go through that much pain, doesn't register. But I know the answer. And the answer is found in the most shocking verse of the Bible. You know what that is? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's the most shocking verse. Love. Love. For God so loved the world. Love was the ultimate will of the Father. I am convinced that the cross that was designed as an instrument of torture and death is the most potent symbol for love that there ever will be. The most potent symbol. The cross is love from the Father and from the Son. I have one more verse to read, okay? This is the last verse. Here's what it is. And then we're going to respond one more time. And if my probably will, my version will read a little bit different than yours. Here's what it says. Isaiah 53, 5. He, being Jesus, was pierced for Jake Gertz's transgressions. He was crushed for Jake Gertz's iniquities. I don't know if you read it, but it's right there. It's my fault. It is my fault Jesus was stapled to a cross because of my selfishness, my lust, my, my deceit, my greed. And upon him was the punishment that brought Jake Gertza peace. And with his wounds, Jacob Rudy Gertza was healed. If I could, I would come down to each and every one of you I would have to ask some of you your name. <laughs> and I would read that verse and I'd put your name in there. And you want to know why I would do it like that? Because it's personal. It is very personal. See how personal it is. If we could walk down there and put your name in there. Why is it personal? Because it was my sin and it was 
your sin. It was our sin that put him on that cross. It is personal. And because we don't have time to do that, and it would be awkward, we have a better idea. So here's what we're going to do. We have pins and we have a cross on each one of these tables. And we want you, during these next couple songs, the last time we're going to have a chance to respond, we want you to write your name. Big enough to see, but small enough so that everybody can get their names on there. (laughs) And this symbolizes and reminds us seriously just how personal it was that Jesus took our personal sins on that cross on his back and he carried it up a hill to Calvary where he paid the price that we personally should have paid. It was our sin. And he personally took it from us. And he took care of it for us. That's the beauty, peoples. This is where it turns from pain to redemption. The cross. Jesus took all our pain every pain. We would have been feeling pain for the rest of our lives. And even worse than this, if Jesus didn't go to the cross. And friends, that is what is so, so good about Good Friday. It wasn't good for Jesus, but he was good to us. Amen? Amen. So let's respond in this way where we write our names on the cross and make it personal and continue to worship him by writing on the greatest symbol of love that has been and will always be the cross. Oh my goodness. I was just staring at you. And the way that song ended, I think of this this sentence of Good Friday with this heaviness and this pain and this redeeming pain and the darkness and the torture and the separation from the Father. And then you guys took me on this proclamation at the end. It's like, yeah, amazing. Because Sunday's around the corner, isn't it? Huh? Good Friday wasn't the last chapter in the book. It was one of the key chapters in the book. But Sunday's around the corner. Arbor, just a reminder, Our options on Sunday, we've got three of them, 8 o'clock, and Pastor Jake has asked us to attend the 8 o'clock service to make room at 9.30 and 11. If you're bringing friends, show up at the 9.30 or 11. That's probably the service that they would prefer. And understand this. I think back in my own context, uh, Sunday... Lord willing, we're in this sanctuary. You're sitting next to your friends and you can rest assured of this. They are going to hear a very clear gospel presentation and the do you want to get to know Jesus opportunity. And in my context, it was November 6th of 1976. Excuse me. So that version is coming up in two days. So we're about to round the corner to that. We have a video to show you reminding us about Sunday. And just know that when the video is done, the Good Friday service is done. God bless. Watch the video.